right, guys. Uh, I hope this is working. Uh, welcome to a very special Jumping the Rail episode here at my house, my apartment here in Champaign, Illinois. I am Mark Redman, as you know. And uh, it's just me today. No uh, co-hosts, no producers. I've got my little home studio set up today. And like I said, I hope I got it working right because I'm not the most savvy tech guy there is. But uh, welcome. And uh, like I said, it's uh, the end of October, which is Halloween time. And the perfect time to uh, watch an old uh, classic, namely Halloween Havoc from uh, WCW in 1989, the very first Halloween Havoc. Uh, I'm going to kind of stall for a few minutes. Hopefully, if you guys are uh, jumping in here, you can fire up the old peacock and uh, watch it with me. A caveat that I learned is on YouTube, you can't show the actual Peacock feed on there. So unless you're watching the show, you're just watching me watch the show, which is, I mean, that's, that's on you. But uh, yeah, so while you're getting that fired up, a couple things I want to mention. Number one today actually was really cool. I had the pleasure of uh, being a guest on the 1130 podcast, another wrestling show. And uh, it was a lot of fun, about an hour long, talking about uh, just AEW, WWE, all that kind of stuff. And that should be dropping tomorrow, or if you're listening to this later on Friday. And uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, DeAndre Cherry, great guy, uh, he's the host, and I'm hoping to uh, get him to call in sometime on this show and kind of do the same thing, just kind of talk whatever, maybe do it to watch along, but you'll just talk, talk with shit, you know? But uh, with that being said, uh, we got Halloween Havoc on Saturday for NXT. I will be watching that on Sunday because Saturday night, I'm going to be joining all my people in that tune for Zero One USA, the 16th anniversary show at the Burgess Auditorium, or whatever they call it. I always get it wrong. Menders, if you're hearing this, uh, apologize to David for me. But it uh, should be a lot of fun. Uh, I always enjoy going to Zero One, seeing all the, uh, all the people there. Our buddy Marvin, a little live plug for the show, guest last week, will be in the Battle Royal to determine the number one contender for the world champion. And I don't know, I'm calling nuts. I'm putting my money on Marvin. I think he's going to pull it off. But uh, with that being said, we are going to, it's kind of a long show, so we're going to kind of get into it. Uh, so go to your Peacock here. And under WCW, how we had it was one of the first things on there in 1989, obviously season one, episode one. And I am going to count three, and then I'm going to hit play on this end. And make sure I have your group. And, uh, all right, three, two, one, play. And we're buffering. Still buffering. There we go. Now we got a little. Uh, Graphic here with the uh, <laughs> with full moon the graveyard. I mean, it's WCW graphics 101 here. It's basically the guy that did it. But Flair, Funk, Sting, Muda on the tombstone. That's your main event tonight. The Thunderdome. Sting and Flair against Muda and Funk. Halloween Havoc. And the, the tagline settling the score, which it really is with Funk and Flair. And here we go. We got a shot at the ring here. And we are in. Let me see what the name of the building is on the show. It is the 
Philadelphia Civic Center, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, the date on this, October 28, 1989, and that is uh, about 33 years ago next week. And the uh, attendance, 7,300 for this building. I think it's a sellout, which is, uh, yeah, it looks, it looks good. It's a good-looking building. And uh, as they kick off the show, they got JR and the great Bob Cottle, the uh, voice of Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. And, uh, yeah, he's one of my favorites. Gordon Soli here is going to be interviewing the heels, if I remember right on this. And then uh, young Chris Cruz, later on in the Nitro years, he did some of the, uh, the B shows for WCW. He'll be interviewing the baby faces on this. So it's a uh, pretty stacked card here. Let me see if I can run, run down the matches. There we go. Uh, Tom Zink versus Mike Rotunda. The Samoan SWAT team, the Samoan Savage and Samu, the Headshrinkers and the Tommy Kid. Against the Midnight Express and Steve Williams, Dr. Death, which is uh, really that's a fun team. They were in the War Games match on the same team, so that'll be good. Tommy Rich against the Cuban Assassin, Fidel Sierra. The fabulous Freebirds, Hayes and Darvin, not the traditional Freebirds, against the, the Dynamic Dudes, Shane Douglas and Johnny Ace. And they were also managed by Jim Corrent in this match. And that is for the World Tag Team titles. Doom. We'll take on the Steiner Brothers. Oh, that, I remember that match. That's, that's going to be fun to watch. Lex Luger defending the U.S. Championship against Brian Pillman. Uh, kind of early for Pillman. It was kind of new. The Road Warriors against the Skyscrapers with Teddy Long. Uh, this is the Sid Vicious Dance Fighty Skyscrapers before Mark Callis was in there. And then again, the main event, Ric Flair and Sting with Ori Anderson in their corner. Against Terry Funk and the Great Moodoo with Playboy Gary Hart. And Bruno San Martino is the referee in that match. So that'll be fun to watch. So now we have Captain Mike Rathunda. It says it right there. Captain of the Varsity Club. This is before he went full captain and before like the skipper hat and things like that. Uh, there we go. The Z-Man, Tom Zink. Former a cup of coffee with the WWF before he went to the WCW. That's where he had his best run. And uh, yeah, for those that are living under a rock, Mike Ricardo, the father for Bray Wyatt, who just came back from uh, a lengthy absence at Extreme Rules last week. And uh, man, what a promo break Friday night. It was, it was really cool. And uh, I'm really curious how that's going to go with uh, with Uncle Howdy coming up at the end of the promo. But there we go. Now we got our lock up here. And Ricardo, and for those that don't know, Ricardo was such a good technical wrestler, amateur standout at Syracuse, and uh, that's what he's doing here. He's going for the takedowns, because Zink is a body guy. He's a, he's a bit of a flyer, so it's a nice contrast to Styles here. Pull up a Pepsi here, and now you got Zink trying to out-wrestle the wrestler, which is uh, it's an interesting play, but uh, Zink has the side headlock, and Right. Yep. Zink. <laughs> Tom Zink. I, first time I saw Zink was in uh, 87. Can-Am Connection with Rick Martel at WrestleMania 3 against Bob Orton and uh, Don Morocco. Uh, fun guy to watch. Uh, not much in the way of charisma. I always, I always thought Martel was the, the 
understand that later on when he came with Pillman, saying Dale Pillman was the uh, was the star. But uh, that being said, man, he's a ton of other hair. He's kind of he's late thirty a little bit. But yeah, it seemed like they had big plans for uh, for Z Man at this point. They uh, they did put the TV title on very briefly, and uh, my buddy Mike Nard, Delanus Nard, he'll appreciate this. Z Man did the job at nineteen ninety eight American Bash in the first appearance by none other than Big Van Vader in WCW. So that's some of the notable things for uh, for Z Man. Rotunda, he uh, this is before he went back to uh, AWF to do the IRS run. The term is a nice touch. It's, uh, that's, that's nasty. <laughs> Rotunda job job jacking with everybody. He gets he's good for that. Uh, Rotunda, he you know one guy to watch. I first time for him WrestleMania one when he was just kind of a white meat baby face, but when he got to the varsity club here in the uh, NWA, this was uh, with Rick Steiner and Kevin Sullivan originally, and he really kind of came out of his shell as a heel. Nobody really thought he could pull off the heel gimmick, really, because he's such a such a technical standout and a baby face. But man, he had a great run with the TV title, a couple runs actually, uh, traded it with Rick Steiner. I think he wound up dropping it to Sting in '89. But, uh, but yeah, after uh, after his TV title run, he went to call himself the captain for some reason. I gotta think that's a Jim Hurd call. That, that, that has Jim Hurd written all over it. And uh, yeah, so here he's kind of kind of the gatekeeper for the varsity club at this point because this is '89. Doc is out. Steiner's out. So it was. Him, I think Sullivan, and I, I'm not even Danny Spidey at this point. So this is kind of the tail end of the varsity club, and uh, that was one of the more underrated factions in, in pro wrestling history, I thought. So <laughs> every time we got a few, got to kill a little bit of time. He's uh, slowing things down because he is, after all, the methodical heel. I can't put my finger on who the referee is here. Get a better look. I think it's Dan Hitter fan, Nick Patrick. Big guy. Uh, yeah. I got some. Uh, yeah, that is Nick Patrick. And if I don't mind the door rattling in the background, that is just the wife coming in. Yeah, if I could have done this in the bedroom, I would have. It wasn't getting me on the uh, iPad. So I'm doing this on the computer. Let's see. Referees. Here we go. Nick Patrick, Tommy Young, Bruno San Martino. Not a bad uh, lineup of referees here. Then uh, I guess like Gordon Soli, Chris Cruz backstage. Gary Michael Capetto, world's most dangerous ring announcer, is the referee announcer. And then Jim Ross and Bob Cobble. So it's a pretty solid lineup of people on there. Uh, we're kind of back on the floor. He spent more time on the floor than in the ring on this match. So, well, of course, he was pulling the tights. Why not? Tom um, gets the sweat out of his eyes, but doesn't bother adjusting the mullet. Nice, uh, nice gimmick. And uh, Nick Patrick, and this is <laughs> this is young Nick Patrick. This is after, right after he was done wrestling. He was kind of a uh, enhancement guy for Bill Watts for a few years. 
uh, his dad, of course, who might not uh, realize was the uh, the assassin Jody Hamilton, who was kind of the uh, kind of ran the backstage for WCW, ran the power plant, and uh, yeah, so Nick got a pretty sweet gig as a referee, and he was there for the entire run from uh, the time he debuted up until 2001 when he was with WWE. But uh, yeah, he was kind of pulled the Danny Davis later on in his career when he did the heel referee business with uh, who was Jericho. He did a match with an arm tied behind his back, which is just ridiculous. And uh, yeah, there's the Z man with the hammer lock. Right?
trying to put my finger on who's Patrick reminds me of right now. Because this is before he looked like Kenny Powers and had firm and the go-to. But I'll say this about Nick Patrick, he could sell. He's, you see a lot of referees in AEW, WWE that kind of over-exaggerate their movements and jumping around and reacting and everything. Nick Patrick was a pro at it. He was, he was very good at what he did. And he's trying to, trying to manhandle Rotunda there. The vendor's asking, you're going Saturday. Vendor's I am and me going to be there Saturday. And hopefully, I think I will be front row. We'll see if another wrestler sits on my foot like last time when Romero did it. because he wrestles very differently than the boys do. Obviously, Bray is a little bit more sadistic. He does a more high impact. He's not so much of a technical wrestler. Phil uh, Dallas, a bit of a technician, but the same deal. Not, the, not a lot of substance, really, to those work. That's not a knock on him. There's another cast there from those ropes. The suplex, this is probably going to be the finish, right? Vertical suplex, as Gordon Sully says. Yeah, the universal, cross your arms out is the universal, this is over, but it never is. It's kind of up to here. Uh, the old abdominal stretch, Wilbur Snyder is smiling right now. With the ropes, come on, Mike. Takes us to referee to see how the ropes are shaking, and uh, he can't call what he doesn't see, as Will Monson used to say. He's kind of wearing down the V man, and his mullet is still impeccable. It's impressive. Nose to nose with Nick Patrick, that's not a good idea. Don't want to get DQ'd, Mike, and lose your show the purse. Oh, Cooley Indian Skid is really doing it. He's trying to get Z Man back into it, I can see. And everybody else is really not having it on this match. He is the opening match. Usually it's not exactly a barn burner, but this has been good for what it is. It's uh, Jim Hurd didn't have the philosophy of Vince did where you start hot and then do peaks and valleys during the show. It's uh, basically it's just one big peak on WCW. It just starts, it starts slow, then it works its way up. Oh, uh, they can't go for a drop kick. It never works. An exhausted Z man trying to get his eighth win by this point. Boxing of the years. It always looks weird to me. 
Let's do a power driver while you got the guy in that position. Nope. Is this our finish? Does your man get the roll through thing? There it is. Is that Bob Backlund? Yeah. So there you heard the call there, GUC announcing the winner, JR and Bob Cottle. I think I might keep the audio low on here. Nah. That's a good thing about this uh, mixer I've got. I can actually bump up the audio when I wanted to. So that way you don't have to just listen to me the whole time because nobody wants that. Not even my wife does. All right. So let's hear Bruno with his sterling promo skills here. There it is. The silver tongued devil Bruno San Martino. It, I don't get why he's worried about the managers giving the weapons to the guys in the cage because it's a it's a cage match, it's no DQ. So that it's all legal. So he it yeah, I, I don't know. That's I know it's kind of the rhetoric for the guest referee to say he's gonna keep all the shenanigans out of it, but in this kind of a cage match, it's, there's going to be shenanigans. There's nothing Bruno can do about it. But there's the Louisville with Jim Cornette there. I, I love the jacket. Red sequins with the tennis rackets on the back. And he's got Dr. Death, the, one of the scariest dudes in the history of wrestling. Just the little offensive lineman from Oklahoma. And the, in my opinion, the greatest tag team of all time, the Midnight Express. In my personal favorite version, which is Stan Rain and Bobby Eaton. And this is on, uh, I want to say, a couple months after War Games, which was at the Great American Bash, where it was the Midnights, the Road Warriors, and Doc against the Freebirds and the Samoans, which was actually one of my favorite War Games matches, along with the one from 92. And, uh, yeah, good old, uh, good old corny. He's got a do GMC's job. But Gary seems to be enjoying it though. This is that really brief run, a little, I want to say, just over a year of Midnight Express's baby faces, which 
it was always weird to me because they're such a, a strong heel team. But when uh, Anderson and Blanchard had to leave the company, somebody had to take the belts off of them and they didn't want to do it with the Road Warriors for some reason. So there come the Midnight Express and they became the world champs for a, a couple months. Now this is cool. We got the Simones doing the uh, the fire dancing at the uh, top of the stage. And I think that was was that the Simone Tanya Kid and Patu, I believe it was. And Samu was uh, sitting back and just checking it out. Oh boy, Oliver Humperdinck. This guy. My wife says he looks like Yukon Cornelius from uh, Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. The big Kahuna is what he was here. I was like Ollie. He was uh, when he managed uh, Bam Bam Bigelow for his WWF run. I thought he was cool. He was an anomaly because I started watching wrestling after Captain Lou had retired, so I didn't see a lot of babyface managers. I thought it was mainly a heel thing. But oh, look at that! That is a haircut. Samu with the curly, the uh, the perm, it looks like. Tomo's got the dreadlocks. It's, uh, a handsome bunch of fellows there. But, uh, definitely one of my favorite tag teams is the uh, Samoan SWAT team, the Head Shrinkers, if you want to call them that. The, uh, the original Head Shrinkers, uh, before they got the Barbarian in there, and before they started wearing shoes. Like, this is this is about the perfect uh, presentation. This is a lot like what uh, Jacob Patu does now in uh, MLW, GCW. Just bare feet, wild hair, you know, and just knock the shit out of you. And uh, clearly they brought in Oliver Humperdinck to fill that Captain Lou role because everybody remembers Captain Lou managing the original Wild Samoans in this very similar uh, service, if you will. Now we have the Winky Standoff, Tommy Young is our referee here. Oh, jeez. Bob, uh, you were not wrong. Guys, you're taking too long, just lollygagging. Let's get, let's get to it. Ugly people. <laughs> That's Philly for you, though. Now they're doing their awkward standoff on the floor. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Four shit kickers and two Midnight Express guys. Can, let's get in let's get in the throw down here. It looks like it's uh and more staring. Tommy Young has to get some control here. This is getting ridiculous. He looks like he's about at his wits end. 
shows I do not have the Terramana with me today. I'm just my contestant here. And I'm trying to get a little gas, excuse me. Yes, we stand always seen out of place as a baby face. At least with the Midnight Express. With the, with the fabulous ones, I can see it. But yeah, with the Midnight Express with Cornet is just seems like an odd baby face situation there. But, but that's where the Midnights are so great with double teams like you just saw with that back elbow. Arm ringer. And another one. There's always coming they always come in pairs. Come on, guys, we're gonna do for another standoff anytime now. Gonna assume a headbutt? Oh no, elbow. Absolutely off to Samu here. It was also Samoan number three in the early eighties when they made the Wild Samoans a trio. When it was Afa and Sita, then they brought in Samu to uh, to be the third man through the Freebird rule. But that didn't last too long before he went down to the world class and started teaming up with Fatu, who you guys know is Rikishi, uh, Jay and Jimmy Uso and. So was the total bad for those that don't know. And uh yeah. done just about everything uh of note. He was uh, intercontinental champion, he was a tag champion uh multiple times with multiple partners. And <laughs> he once with Rico Constantino. Oop, head into the post, but oh boy, here comes Doc. Oh, Doc, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't pull punches. He, he works a little stiffly here. But he's always one of my favorites. What a, what a stud. Him teaming up with uh, Van Van Gordy, the Miracle Violence Connection, was so fun to watch. When, they, when I show this stuff in Japan to people, they just can't believe it. Maybe one of these days we'll do a watch on them against the Steiner Brothers, which is one of my all-time favorite tag team matches. Now the Samoans are regrouping on the floor with the Yukon Cornelius. It's funny, I know the reference, but I've never seen the movie with all the original string gear. Big Keish wants to come in. She and Doc, that's a, that's a hell of a matchup. One thing I wish they would have pulled the trigger on, and 
I'm, I'm not saying because he had a bad run. He had a legendary run as Yokozuna, but when Rodney Anawati was working as Kokina, he was supposed to be, I guess, third head shrinker when they came to the WWF. He had the long hair, he had the matching gear and everything. And he was like the heavyweight. Like, that's when Samu would go for the tag titles. And uh, Kokina, as he was called, would have been their, their singles guy. But Benson is infinite wisdom. Uh-huh. <laughs> said, hey, let's make him a sumo wrestler. That made sense. But these guys, I mean, it, it's no secret how, how good of a lineage the Samoans have in this family. You got these guys, you got Akka and Sika, Yokozuna, as Lex mentioned, Umaga. Was, every Samoan wrestler I've heard in interviews say that he was the best, like in ring, Umaga was. Then you go forward, you got Solo, Sokoa, you got the Usos, uh, Jacob Fatu, Lance on Hawaii. This is it's a family tree a mile long in the wrestling business. And not a bad worker in the bunch. And speaking of great workers, we've got a beautiful body coming in here. And uh, our first episode we ever did was actually the, I think, the day that he passed away, which is crazy to think about. And uh, one of my favorites, uh, I know Bubba Ray Dudley always says that he's the greatest tag team wrestler of all time. I tend to think it's Arn Anderson, just because Arn had success with multiple partners. Uh, Bobby was pretty much with uh, Dennis Condry and Stanley. Double A had Oli, Tully Blanchard, Paul Roma. Uh, who else it was? It was a Visco and Bobby Eaton. And, uh, and, that, and that might be, like, as much as I love the Brain Busters, Arn and Tully, that team of Double A and Bobby Eaton, you know, it's just such a perfect tag team. Double A is number one greatest of all time in tag team. Bobby's one A. He's he's a very close second. Now we got a roundup doc in the ring here. He's going after Samu. I need to double check my facts. I think Samu is Roman Reigns' brother. If I go, we're going to find out. While I'm looking, I'm going to bring up the audio. Hello, JR. Go. All right, so after my dubious research, it turns out that Samu is not Roman Reigns' brother, but he is uh, uh, Lance Anawaii's father. So that's where the family tree extends a little bit. Now we've got Samoa Savage, who is Rikishi's brother. I think they're twin brothers, actually. And Samu's cousin. Excuse me. Uh, Corning, he's, I don't think Corning was digging the baby face run. He's just itching to waffle somebody with that tennis racket. I wonder if he'll get a chance. Because he couldn't really do much with JJ as far as physically. 
I think JJ was then taking bumps by that point. I could be wrong about that. I guess Spain. The, uh, the story I always heard is that he was discovered by Ric Flair as a lifeguard, and Ric Flair brought him into the business, which is a pretty cool origin story if you think about it. Now there's stories going around about parentage with Lauren Bobert, where I, I barely know who she is. I just hear her name in all the, in all the rags, but that kind of goes against my rules. No politics, just wrestling. That's uh, that's rule number one for uh, for jumping the rail here. And if you are listening to this, I appreciate it. Like I said, this is kind of a weird uh, setup. We're, I'm working on getting a, uh, a new studio set up in Oakwood with uh, a new crew and everything. And that will be happening sooner than later. But I wanted to make sure we got something out there today. So I decided, let's just do a watch along. Let's see. I see podcasts do this a lot, and uh, you know, it's fun. You know, you get to watch wrestling. And <laughs> talking to DeAndre Cherry on the uh, Road Thirty podcast, he said he could talk, he could do podcasts by himself talking wrestling all the time. And you know, I'm with him. I could do the same thing. And Bobby should know not to hit these guys in the face. Oh, well, top of the head works, I guess. Grab him by the hair, and now we got a bulldog here. Well, I thought we had a bulldog. It looks like Bobby got his plums rattled in the turnbuckle. Headbutt. Nope, oh, stop. It's just a fair foot in the face. That's not fun. Bobby took a hell of a bump. Like we've gotten all the standoffs out of their system in this match. Oh, Doc, what are you going to chair for? If I remember right, we did a top 10 Tuesday in Apongo, the greatest referees of all time, and Tommy Young, I I think I had it number two, but it's he's one of those guys. It's really hard not to put it number one. Everything he did was so good. He he always brought like this air of legitimacy to to officiating. Something like when we talked about Alfonso, that was a big sticking point. He uh, he made 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 a point of that, talking about uh, how important it was to be legit when you're refereeing, and not to not to get all all silly like. You see how the referees these days are doing. Oh, you got a pin? Nope. Yeah, you got an almost pin there. Bobby tried to catch uh, the savage there. Let's see what JR is saying right now. Ooh. There's the headbutt. Come 
feel like how they did that. JR made a point to mention how raw the Samoans are. Except they didn't have the, the polish that like a classical technical wrestler would have. Ooh, speaking of not polished, that is an upputting angle of uh, Oliver there. But yeah, these guys, all, all they needed to do was just beat the crap out of you. Yep, that's not going to work, Bobby. You can't drop a head first to the mat because he's, you know, Samoan. They have hard heads. Which they don't do enough with, with the, uh, the bloodline guys. You think they would, uh, they would stick to that trope with the hard headed South Pacific wrestlers? I'm trying to be PC. I don't want to <laughs> take anybody off, especially these guys, because you know, they scare me. Ooh. I think look like a safe leg drop by uh, by Samu. There's a headbutt. Uh, doing a number on uh, on old body there. Oh, but you can't do that. Oh, Rikishi. I bet if somebody told Rikishi back then in October 1989 that he would get the most fame of his career wearing a sumo outfit and rubbing his ass on people's papers, he would have said you were nuts. So to speak. There's Bobby. He's a. Uh, ah. That's not cool. The Simone Savage is being a savage and fighting his opponent on the arm. Ooh, nice. I watched that. All right, let's go back to JR here. Before you ask, I will not be playing the banjo on this show. I apologize. Yeah. I don't think you guys realize how hard it is to look at the camera up here while watching the show and then making sure the feed is good. I've got to look basically at three different spots and do the mixer. I think I deserve a round of applause. Thank you. Oh, it just goes to show the Samoa Savage is no Vader. The Vader bomb does not work, and now Bobby is going to the wrong corner. If I had a nickel every time somebody went to the wrong corner. Oh, there you go. We got a fired up doc come out the top rope. Bam. I love the story Bruce Pitchard tells where he stared down a Ford Bronco in the parking lot of a bar in Oklahoma. A bunch of drunk guys trying to start shit with him. And he wanted to step outside. They decided that they were going to run him over with their Ford Bronco. And he just stood there and dared him and they drove away. He was, not, he was just a bad, bad man. And I don't think there was a soul who could not suplex back in his heyday. Oh, what the hell was that stand? That was a that was a really sloppy neck breaker, man. What the hell is he doing? 
you get that Rick Martel windup going for the for the punches, like he doesn't know whether to throw a punch or a, or a sidekick. Now it's breaking down. You get everybody in the ring. Cornet just waffled Ollie with the tennis racket. That that we knew that was coming. Oh no! Stan just headbutted Cornet by accident, and the Samoans get the win. Let's get the call. You know, I never knew why they didn't just say the Samoan SWAT team. I would think that the Samoan Savage would be part of the Samoan SWAT team, but I guess they wanted to keep it as as the as the tag team, the Samoan tattoo. Nice forehand by JC there on Humperdinck. As the referee is trying to get order going, here comes the headbutt to the back. Down goes Corny. And his sequin polyester suit, which looks ridiculous. I think I see a pair of Zubas in the front row. Might be, not be a bad idea for Saturday. Now we got a, another promo here. Looks like we've got Gordon Sully with the Funker. Let's check it out. I love Terry Funk. He just play the hits, man. Funker. <laughs> 10,000 volt boogie. I don't whatever that means. There we, there we go. Fidel Sierra, the Cuban assassin there. Uh, solid worker. Not the, I don't think he did a lot with uh, the McMahons. Bado wrestling in Puerto Rico. Uh, obviously, doing stuff down in the South. There comes Wildfire Tommy Rich. Oh boy, before he was the Don of the full blooded Italians, after he was NWA World Heavyweight Champion in 1982, kind of the definition of a white meat baby face. This was, I think, after he did, I think this is after he shaved Waller's head in Memphis with Austin Idol. Yeah, not exactly a, a Jack Lorraine physique on the old Tommy there. A little doughy. That's all right. Still a good hand in the ring. Let's see what he can do with the spicy Cuban here. It looks like the assassin getting the jump on old Tommy. Who's referee? Is that Patrick again? Yeah, I believe it is. The Cuban assassin kind of looks like if Chavo Guerrero was wrestling in a street fight. With a touch of Skandar Akbar. Ooh, 
Big right hand by Tommy Rich. Body slam. Another one. Now you gotta do them in uh, multiples. Now the old dusty elbow. Says right on his butt, wildfire. Somebody say something about wildfire, that's what he used to always say. Those are supposed to be like the version of like tie-dye trunks, but I'm not gonna look that hard. While we're watching this match, I'm gonna get a uh, go into it. We're gonna I'm gonna go see on Saturday. Yeah, the Zero One USA 16th anniversary show, and we got more matches lined up for that. Let's see what we got. Zero uh, One USA Tag Team Championships: The Crowleys against Country Air will be defending. I'm vaguely familiar with the Crowleys. I'm, I'm curious to see them. They look very creepy. Uh, Jake Lander defending the Zero One USA Heavyweight title against the winner of the Battle Royal earlier in the night. And uh, at this point, it looks like not a lot of people declared for the battle. I see CMC, I see Marvin, a uh, couple other guys in there, and six extra six spots not filled yet on the uh, on the picture I'm looking at. Uh, the Cobra against Joey O'Reilly. I think this match is going to steal the show. I'm really high on uh, Joey O'Reilly's work, and the Cobra is very impressive. Uh, really cool looking, just just a beast, man. He's awesome. Uh, let's see, Analog, Victor Analog, the man with the TV on his head, against Anakin Murphy, who looks very grumpy in every picture I've ever seen him in. But that, that, that'll be a fun match. Tommy Davis. I'm not familiar with Tommy Davis, but he's taking on Camaro Jackson, former guest on the show, former Zero One USA heavyweight champion. And then the last match I've got here: Chelsea Durden and Zach Kennedy against Maxi and Taylor and Rain Victoria. Uh, Rain, another uh, friend of the show. So, just from those matches, it looks like a lot of fun. And who knows, there might be more stuff going on. Uh, we'll have to see. I haven't seen anything announced for Jordan Perry yet. Uh, Matt Kitchen, I haven't seen anything announced for. So, uh, <coughs> excuse me. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a really fun show. And I think the show after that is one where Davey Richards is going to be there. So, uh, that'll be a lot of fun. We'll see, uh, see my friends at Zero One USA, David Cavazos. Uh, Menders will be there, of course, or uh, our buddy. Uh, I think I heard our, our buddy Dwayne is going to be there. Dwayne Carter, the uh, unofficial favorite uh, listener. Uh, that was that's Marco's call. I I try to I love everyone equally. Relates to our listenership because I don't want to I don't want to play favorites, but that's just me. Let's see what Jr. has to say about Tommy. Wow, people of his ilk, Jr. It doesn't age well, my friend. It's not a nice way to talk about the Cubans. Yeah, the the, the Cuban assassin feels here. He was, I know, he was a long time friend of Kurt Hennig. Uh, he does a lot of interviews talking about Kurt. Whenever his 
the anniversary of Kurt's passing, and just rolls around. He always talks to talks to Fidel. He puts his uh, his two cents in. Oh, he is he's feeling the pain on this arm bar here. Oops. Yeah, I I don't get how Tommy was a heartthrob in his uh, in his day. Like I said, not a not a chiseled Adonis, kind of a goofy looking face back then, and uh, not an overly flashy ring style. I mean, what he did work, I'm not going to knock him for that. And he got a, a World Heavyweight Championship for a cup of coffee in '82. But uh, but yeah, I just I never saw it. Also, how do I get? He was a big guy and. Charisma out the wazoo, but Tommy, he was just kind of the definition of a white meat baby face. And then you got the dastardly heel, Fidel Sierra. And if you like Fidel Sierra, that means you love heels, and that means you need to uh, check out ProWrestlingTeats.com slash JPRPod and check out our uh, our wares. There's more stuff that's going to be coming. I'm, I always joke, it doesn't cost me anything to design the shirts. Because they make them, they make them on demand anyway. So I'm just going. If I have, if I can get a hundred shirts on there, because I just I enjoy it. It's fun, and I think I got some cool stuff on there. And I hope you will go check it out at some point, and uh, maybe you'll find something that suits your fancy. We got all the original stuff with the uh, the logo that you see up in the top corner here. Then we got the new logo, which is. Uh, it kind of looks like a like a racing team logo, just with a with a ring of honor twist, which I think is cool, and uh, multiple colors. And, and then some other uh, stuff I'm working on. The uh, on the back of the iHeart Heel shirt, there's a, a new a new design I was working on. I think it's cool. I hope you guys check it out. I'm not disturbing you, am I? I hear you. All right. Yeah, little assassin knows all all the tricks. The the lift that we get just on the DVT. I've got a few count on it. And then you see how crappy he is. Jumping right back on with that channel. I don't know how exciting this is, but I'm enjoying myself watching this. And, uh... Ooh. Let's go back and see what Jim Ross is saying here. Oh, it's about Cottle Lannister. Ooh. Right on the old yam bag, as Taz would say. <laughs> Gingerly indeed. Oh, back elbow. I thought he was going for that says press. Oh, it's like the second time people missed that uh, body press. There's a says press. Take it away. And let's get the word. 
skip the residual alley-oop there. And that first press, it looks cool. I'm, I don't buy it really as a finish. I mean, I'm so used to seeing Steve Austin do it with this setup. But I mean, hey, it worked for Luthez and it just got him six world championships, that's all. Let's see what we got. Oh, we got a promo with the Freebirds with Gordon Sully. Freebirds. Michael Hayes is such a good promo. And one of the few guys I can kind of do an impression of just going, I, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, a lot of people kind of poo poo on the uh, the Jimmy Garvin version of Freebirds. I, I was okay with it. Because for those that don't know, in world class, when the Freebirds were really running hot, it was the uh, original trio Hayes, Gordy, and uh, Buddy Jack Roberts. Jimmy Garvin was kind of the unofficial fourth Freebird then. You know, this is like an 84, 85. So having him teaming up with uh, with uh, Michael Hayes is perceived natural. Oh, good. Yeah, the dynamic dudes. You know, I love Shane Douglas's work in ECW, but man, this was this was not not good. <laughs> Putting with Johnny Ace. They look like they walked off the set of Saved by the Bell. And they got corny with them. This was the uh, period when corny was kind of taking them under his wing, teaching them how to uh, be a successful tag team. And to write the dudes right on the button. That, that, that's good. What's the music they're using for the free birds on here? Ah, yes. These guys remind me of if your dad and your uncle were trying to look cool at your high school dance in the 80s. Probably prudent that they stopped using the Confederate flag on all their gear at this point. I'm pointing to you, man. This could easily go down as one of the greatest entrance music pieces of all time. And I can say that because on ProWrestlingTees.com, you've got the choice to get a Jumping the Rail Pod Street USA t-shirt. It looks like the classic black and red one, but with a little twist on it. And uh, yeah, that's, that's our little homage to the Freebirds, because we're, we're big fans. 
and also not for nothing, you guys know me. I'm a I'm a belt nerd. I love title belts, and this is my favorite version of the NWA World Tag Team Titles. It's uh, I I prefer it to the one that they're using now, which is basically the same one that they used in like the early '80s. But it looks cool. It's big. It's blue. The strap is blue. It's gold. You know. It just looks awesome, and that's one that I actually have a replica of in the other room here in this apartment. One of these days, I'll I'll bring the tote out, and I'll, I'll show you guys my uh, my belt if I got. But with the match, we're getting them strutting Michael P.S. Hayes. Oh, there's the moonwalk. He invented it, you know. Just ask him. Yeah, I invented it. And he's starting off with franchise, well, the future franchise, Shane Douglas, a guy who I actually met in April at the Square Circle Expo, and a cool guy. He had a really fun panel with Rubini uh, and Rhino, talking about ECW at one point. And then, yeah, at, the, at his table, he was, he was he chatted for a good 10 minutes, uh, talking about Bam Bam Bigelow and ECW, and uh, yeah, great guy. I'm, uh, I'm hoping he'll be back at the Square Circle this year. I, I've got my tickets for it. We're going to be there again. And they've uh, announced two uh, people so far for it. Uh, Olympic champion Kurt Angle. And then uh, just a couple days ago, they announced MJF is going to be there. And there's something that they put on when they posted MJF's announcement that really tickled me. I'm going to read it on here. because. Uh, I thought it was awesome. I just have to find it. Let's see. <laughs> Here it is. So there is a disclaimer on this announcement from MJF getting uh, announced for the Squared Circle Expo in Indianapolis. Please be advised Squared Circle Expo is not responsible for any hurt feelings or damaged goods during MJF's limited appearance. All marks are advised to intend MJF signing and photo ops at their own risk. That's just magnificent. That seems like something he would have written himself and asked him to put on, on the announcement. But it's just it's just good stuff. MJF is one of those rare breed that never breaks character for nothing. And uh, I think I would be remiss if I Tuesday was a was an interesting night in wrestling. NXT and Dynamite running head to head, which was uh, a byproduct of uh, baseball being on Tuesday night. And I was surprised the ratings were actually really good. AEW had more viewers, but not by much. But it's like seven hundred thirty thousand to six fifty, I think, which is pretty impressive considering that. AEW ran a world title match. I mean, granted, it got cut short with uh, Hangman's concussion with uh, speedy recovery to him. You know, good luck uh, coming back. But for me, the highlight, and I think a lot of people say this, the highlight of that show was the exchange between MJF and William Regal in the, uh, in the ring. Because, and this is something I discussed with uh, DeAndre on uh, the 1130 podcast today. He when MJF was done talking, reading the, the email that Regal had sent him at 19, the fans were solidly behind MJF to the point where when Regal started talking, they booed him. But by the time Regal was done, they were cheering again. And it's because neither one of them 
told any lies and neither one was wrong in their opinions and it was just fantastic it was a just as good as mjf was regal i think just completely owned him on that promo exchange and i hope and i told then i said i hope we see more of this version of william regal on aw i don't need him just going on commentary for it with excalibur every time i want to see him firing people up in the ring on the microphone but uh neither here nor there i like how mjf is uh he's got his title shot he's not gonna he's not gonna pull the schmuck play and cash it in like the money in the bank he's gonna he's called his shot he's doing uh at full gear they're having their title match so i'm looking forward to that i think that mjf is going to be the new world heavyweight champion after full gear just i think he's earned it and i don't think there's with the possible exception of moxley there's nobody hotter in the company right now besides dan housing but uh I don't think Dan Housen's that high in the title picture right now. He's, uh, he'll get there, you know. But, uh, I also get says Fantasia on the, on the back of Hayes' tights. I, I think that was the masked wrestler that came in before Bad Street. He was like a giant bird, which is ridiculous. I think it was Brad Armstrong in a mask, but I, I could be wrong. But, uh, yeah, it was. I think getting back to NXT and AEW, I, I think that Tuesday night was a perfect example of why they should not run head to head. It's just better for everybody involved if they do separate nights because that that show on Dynamite, if it had aired on Wednesday, it would have done a million viewers probably at some point. With uh, NXT being the go home show before Halloween Havoc, I. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, and they had a lot of the main roster talent on that show. They were, they wrote the cows, both barrels blazing there, which I know I butchered the idiom, but yeah, it was a really good show. Uh, we'll see in KO and the uh, Good Brothers, and Judgment Day, all these big main roster talent coming in. And uh, yeah, everybody's uh, brilliant. I'm looking forward to uh, Halloween Havoc. Like I said, I'll have to watch it on Sunday. Uh, just give you my prediction. I think uh, we're going to have a couple new champions out of it. I, I think that uh, I'm calling it now. I'd say J.D. McDonough will be the, uh, the new NXT champion. And I, I'm inclined to think, well, I mean, obviously, there's going to be a new North American championship taking title. If, if Mandy... I think Mandy's going to win, but I will not be surprised in the least if Alba Fire wins and becomes champion, which would then open the door for Toxic Attraction to go to the main roster. Which, again, I, I kind of hope they don't because they're just firing on all cylinders in NXT right now. Now, with the NXT title, I think Bob Breaker's on his way up to the main roster. I think uh, McDonough will win. He's a more compelling heel. And, uh, I think he could he could do good business with that title and have Ilya chase him because and I am a big fan of Ilya Dragunov but I always say the chase is more entertaining if it's a babyface chasing a heel than vice versa so hopefully that's what happens but we'll we'll have to wait and see and meanwhile we have the charisma machine Johnny Ace in there 
wishing he could be half as cool as his brother Joe, uh, warrior animal. Jimmy Garvin, who's wishes he was as tough as his brother, hands of stone Ron Garvin, who's actually his stepfather. Oh, big left hand from PS there. Put one over on old Tommy Young. Let's see what JR's saying here. And by the way, that's an awful name for attacking the dynamic dudes. I mean, come on. Seriously? I mean, I know surfer dudes were super cool in 1989, but come on. Seriously. Is he corny trying to, trying to fire up Johnny Ace? Looks like the Looks like they have caution tape on the back of their tights that says dudes on it. I always hear Hayes get grief for being not being the best worker out of the three birds, which is, I mean, it's fair, but it's not fair. Because, I mean, come on, you're in a group with Terry Gordy and Jimmy Garvin and Buddy Roberts. I mean, that's, that's three damn good workers. But Hayes is one of those guys, his vocal abilities really made him stand out, along with being a, a decent worker. I mean, he held the U.S. championship for a cup of coffee in 1989. Uh, beat Luger for it. I think Gordy had the assist and then dropped it back to Luger. And we'll get into more of that when uh, the Luger comes around. Now we got the big double team. Oh, nice lariat there by Hayes. Is he thinking DDT here? But here comes the franchise. Wishing he had a yellow and black tongue on. Let's see what the they almost be fired up at this point. A lot of surfers in Pittsburgh. <laughs> oh, there we go. The Freebirds, by dubious means, have uh, retained their championship. Let's get the word from Gary.
And Corey had a bad night here. The big nights and the doc lost, then the dude lost. Doesn't know what to make of it right now. Because he's kind of giving the dudes the business there. Which sounds really bad out of context. Okay, you see it. Hayes cooking the way. And say what you want, having a 230, 40 pound guy fall on top of your head. I mean, even if you're working as safe as can be, it still looks like it hurts like hell. Let's see, we got a promo here. Yep, we got the Steiners. This will be good. Chris is nervous. Oh, Scotty. What does he mean by that? He just did a pelvic thrust there, which is unsettling. But yeah, the uh, Steiners were not known for their promos early on. You can, you can hear Scotty kind of hiccuping over his words. And then Rick just sounds like a little bit.
and this is before what's the guy's name? Triton? Big tall muscle guy like her bodyguard. I forget his name. But uh, yeah, this is uh, the last pay-per-view before Starcade, which was <laughs> kind of a dubious Starcade. It was the Iron Man and Iron Team tournament, which was the uh, Iron Man. It was Sting, Luger, Muda, and Flair in a round-robin tournament. And then it was the Road Warriors, the Steiners, and the Samoans, and Doom in the, uh, the round-robin tight team tournament. It was just kind of a clusterfuck, man. It was like, I mean, it was fun and all, but it seemed kind of thrown together. I think it was designed solely to give uh, uh, Sting his full title shot and to get the uh, flare back over as a heel in the aftermath, which is one of the more memorable things because technically Sting was a horseman. And then uh, when he won the tournament, he got uh, he got ousted later on. But that's, uh, that's another story for another time. We get the uh, Big Low Twins, the, the Steiner Brothers, with their neon. Well, I've heard it called a onesie. It's the same with Billy Kid. And another standout. There's more standouts on WCW pay per views than I care to count. All right. The elbow pad is Butch Reed, the old hacksaw. Big tough guy. Uh, really fun to watch him in South in the feud with the junkyard dog. And then, uh, of course, the other uh, Ron Simmons for Root. Uh, not, not the last time he would have ridiculous headwear on in his career. If he was ever through the side with the, uh, the blue helmet. But, uh, but no, this is uh, this is just a fucking hot spite, man. It's. Uh, there's two things I enjoy in wrestling more than a good old-fashioned house fight. And even going back to the Extreme Rules a couple weeks ago, it was a, it was a house fight in the first uh, first match on the show. Seamus Butch and uh, Holland against Gunta and Imperium. And yeah, those guys just knocked the shit out of each other. And it was so much fun to watch. And because uh, you can, like the, the flippy shit, it's, it's good. I mean, it, it's fun. It's it, the kids love it. It's exciting. But just watch two guys just knock the hell out of each other for 20, 25 minutes, and it's, it's just good watching. Speaking of which, we got a yeah. There you go. Rick with the clothes on. I sure to think what that would have done to Adam Page instead of Moxley's uh, clothesline. And like I said, it's uh Get well soon, the hangman. He's got it. He's got his concussion. But the, I read something interesting on somebody's uh, read on Facebook talking about that. It was, it was a uh, it was a freak accident. It was Moxley throwing the lariat, and he caught Page in the head and neck with with the arm. And something I didn't realize. And uh, Bull Payne, the uh, great deathmatch wrestler from the Midwest, he commented this. He said that. The trick to taking a clothesline is not to take it, not to get hit with the arm, but you basically get, get hit by the body or the guy throwing it. And that kind of gives you a little bit more protection. But then if you, he also said that he'd been in the ring with Stan Hansen many times and no Stan couldn't see very well in the ring because he didn't have any glasses. 
then he would, uh, he would do very much the same thing Moxley did the page on a regular basis and just knock the shit out of whoever he was in the ring with, which is unsettling. And then Bradshaw would do the same thing, but I think he just did it because he liked doing it to people. We're good to see Bradshaw show up on uh, on Raw Monday night, uh, teach the uh, teach the town in the back how to cut a good heel promo. Uh, you get a big Texan in Oklahoma, he's going to piss somebody off. And like, yeah, that's what he did. Oof. I would not want to be punched in the face by Ron Simmons. Let's see what uh, JR is saying here. Another thing to remember is Rick was always the one coming off the top rope with the Bulldog. Scotty was just as athletic as Rick was. I mean, all you have to do is watch him do a just do over a Frankensteiner from a standing position, and you can tell that. But uh, yeah, the Steiners, I, I say that Midnight Express is the greatest tag team of all time. The Steiners are my favorite tag team of all time. Just because, like I said, it's uh, the stiff in ring style, the suplexes, the just the ridiculous outfits, you know, just, they had the whole package back then. And uh, it was even fun when they had their little run in uh, TNA in the late 2000s, when uh, when uh, Rick came back and they had their run with the King 3D. That's all those things were good then. And they, because they learned how to, to work down, they didn't try doing all the same stuff they did. They could still do the, the throws and the clotheslines, but they weren't trying to get fancy with anything. They, ooh, I think Rick just rattled his headgear off the ropes on the way down there. Yeah. Rick looks kind of silly, but I mean, I'm silly and kind of the one that hurt me. But the headgear with when he had the really shaggy hair, like it was almost a perm with the, with, with earmuffs on. And then you get Scotty with my money one of the most glorious mullets in the history of pro wrestling at that point and uh he kept it pretty much for until he went big papa pump and just uh died it blind and now you've got two former wcw world champions in there well two future i should say ron simmons of course won his in august of 1992 Oh, there's a big German. That's, uh, that makes that makes me wince. When you guys land high on the neck like that, it's it's, it's off putting. But uh, yeah, then uh, then Scotty, he was the world champion in late 2000, 2001, at the tail end of the uh, the Nitro run there. Oh, woman, uh, I'll say this: woman, great manager, easy on the eyes, but. She was so annoying at ringside when she would try to yell things. Whether it was this match here, just yelling encouragement, but especially in the mid '90s Horseman run, when she was with uh, with Flair and Benoit and Mongo, 
because she would just shriek uncontrollably and it just it was it just like nails on a chalkboard to me it was just so unsettling and then uh, i don't think she did it when she was with the sam and ecw either. i think it was just with the horsemen and uh and yeah so that was my only problem with woman's uh performance my times out of 10. For those that don't know, woman started this angle as a fan, and uh, Missy Hyatt was managing the Steiner Brothers. So it was a carryover from Hot Stuff International when Eddie Gilbert left, and then uh, woman who was Robin Green at the time started trying to trying to woo Rick and take advantage of his simple simple nature, and she did, and she she like took all of his money and broke his heart and all that and then she wound up bringing this team doom to uh to destroy the steiner brothers that was their their mission statement when they first showed up and it was a hell of a mission they had some damn good matches it eventually uh, doom beat the steiners for the world title in 1990 i believe it was i see the wind going i think the window's open but that's all right like i said my neighbors must think i'm nuts they just hear my raspy baritone from up here talking to nobody in particular about wrestling to their ear. Oh, woman's got the boo-boo face. I can't be good. Let's see what JR's saying here. Doom number two. So there you have it. Doom number one is uh, Butch Reed. Doom number two is Ron Simmons. Until they take the masks off. You never know who it is. Doom fighting dirty. Choking old Scotty on the ropes. That's just good tag team business there the referee gets distracted by the other guy now they can get a double team in on the floor and patrick is there anybody on this show that patrick isn't taller than this is this is crazy i think it was knee problems that caused nick to have to retire as an active wrestler but uh yeah he oh let's see there you go they just toss Scotty over the top rope. That would be a DQ if Rick didn't have the referee distracted. But there you see old Hacksaw trying to, trying to get the referee to count instead of just uh, doing whatever it is he's doing there. Kicks there. Mm. Probably going to get knocked back down onto the oh, no, sunset cliff. Very nice. Oh, there you go. We go for the ropes and Spiner Cole Cockman. Kind of sloppy. It seems like guys have trouble doing that move in WCW. It just it always seems. 
it wasn't cooperative. Like the guy taking the move wasn't wasn't in sync with the guy delivering the move, which makes it look very very sloppy. So going forward, I'm going to plan on doing more of these watch-alongs, but I think I'm going to try and do it with somebody else, either on on the Zoom chat or in in house with me, so you don't have to hear just me. Although I'm enjoying bringing up uh, Jr. every now and then to hear what he's got to say, but uh, but yeah, so I appreciate you guys hanging out with me on this. It's still yeah, the, we're about halfway home on this show. Actually, just not exactly halfway through the show. And uh, let's see. D, if no, after you take the mask off, they can't really use those boots anymore. But uh, let's see. Oh, just stiff right to the ribs. Okay, I hurt. Now, I remember Butch Reed. First time I saw him, it was in his WWF run as the natural when he had the blonde hairs. Like, was his manager in 87. But then I go back later on and I, I saw the stuff he did with JYD in Mid-South. Excuse me. And uh, they had a match that I remember was the uh, street fight in the Superdome. I want to say it was 83, maybe 84. And and my biggest pet peeve in this was street fights where guys are wearing their gear. And this is not one of those. These guys came out wearing their street clothes. Ooh, nasty looking stuff pile driver there by Doom. But they were just beating the hell out of each other and Ernie Ladd got involved. It was just just dynamite stuff. It was it was good. Uh, JYD won. I think that was the blow off to their feud. And you know Bill Watts, all the big shows were in the Superdome back then. Very close key caps there for the for Ron Simmons. Ron had a cool run in ECW too, team up with Lucas Scorpio. Uh, some of the Steiners, for that matter. They, I think they teamed up with Taz for some shows in uh, 95, 96. Because the Steiners, after this, they went to WWF in 90, 90, like 93, like 92, 93. But after they finished their run in early 94, they didn't just go right to WCW. They went to Japan and basically put in about two and a half years especially in Japan before they went to WCW and that was in the Nitro era and it was really a golden period for tag teams because it was the Steiner Brothers, the Road Warriors, the Outsiders, Harlem Heat, uh, Faces of Fear, the Stan Luger were teaming up at the time. So it was, oh there we go, Frankensteiner here. I mentioned it earlier but yeah this is uh, Outside of maybe late 80s WWF, my favorite tag team division was that big 90s WCW. Ooh, nice power slam by Rick. But the referee, Patrick, is on the floor. And now what is woman up to? Oh, she, don't, don't trust her, Rick. She, she's up to no good. There comes oh look at that she's loading up the mask oldest trick in the book shades of the assassin nick patrick should know that's coming because his dad did it for years and there's the big headbutt with the, with the loaded mask two doom gets the win let's get the word from gary
And Big Win for the for Doom, that's I think that's their first high profile pay-per-view match as a team. And beating on the Steiners, even though the Steiners are still fairly new here, it's uh it's a, it's a big win. It's it's uh it's really getting them over. And like I said, they had a very brief run, it was maybe a year and a half. But they had a they had a great trajectory and this was just the start of it. Right, let's see who we're who we're talking to here. Oh, got the total package. Gordon's got to get his barbs in. I think by this, if my math is right, by this point, Uber had been, I think, three time champion by this point, and there would be more. I think he would drop it to Hanson in 1990, and then he would uh, win it back, and he held it until he won the world title, and then he won it again during the Wolfpack era in 98. Oh, I see Tom Tom's. That can only mean. Brian Bryan is coming out. And this is early in his run. And you can tell it's early because he doesn't have the, uh, the big old tiger trunks on in this match. He's just got the, the regular run of the middle red trunks. But uh, yeah, this is a guy JR was always really high on for his uh, his, his run as a uh, walk on nose tackle in Miami of Ohio. Then later on going to the Bengals. I'm sorry, the Bengals, not the Bengals. Who was he? Was not a musician, to my knowledge. And uh, let's see what Jr's got to say here. Not much, apparently. <laughs> You know, not for nothing, the music he's using here is so much better than the music they saddled him with in 1995 when he came back to WCW, which I think was like stock music they used like on ESPN for highlight packages. But uh, yeah, I would have loved if he would have kept that music. But man, Luger was really at his peak here. 
for those of you guys that saw the uh, the biography on AE that was there about a month ago, he was this was like the truest form of Lex Luger to that point. He was he was a very cocky heel, uh, not trying to to be popular with the fans because he wasn't horribly popular with the fans like outside of outside of the ring. But uh, I mean, obviously that all changed later on. He got humbled by by life, you know, and uh, I had the pleasure, the pleasure, the pleasure of meeting Lex in April, and couldn't have been nicer. Yeah, very cool guy, and uh, yeah. So hopefully, if I see him at, at Squared Circle this year, I'm gonna try to get him to sign my uh, my world title belt. But we'll see. Uh, yeah, Lex Luger, the charter member of the Wet Hair Club, and then uh, Mr. Mr. Perm, Brian Pillman. That's, that, is, that is a palm tree term right there from, from Pillman. It's, ridic- it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> I I camera. Okay. Yeah, for those of you listening after after the fact on this, that is that is Pepsi. I'm not opening a, uh, a beer. And I am not peeing. I am pouring. I hear my cat up the shenanigans in the background. What? Do I hear the shenanigans with the kitty in the background? <laughs> Actually, I'm going to just say I'm very impressed how good my cats are being as I'm doing this at home for the first time. Usually, Noodles doesn't give me the chance to breathe when I'm sitting at the computer because I'm not paying attention to her, but she's, she's being a good girl today. So this is where Pillman is the fieriest of fiery baby faces here. Um, I think this is the first really high-profile match after coming over from Stampede, and it's a uh, it's a basically it's an offensive lineman against a nose tackle here, but you wouldn't believe that Pillman was the nose tackle because he he slimmed down a lot when he was trained for wrestling from uh, how the story goes. But uh, Pillman's always one of my favorite guys. Uh, I like the Flying Brian uh, this period. I really like when he went the, to the loose can again with the Horsemen. I always said if he hadn't had his issues with the office and stayed with the Horsemen, then by extension, Mongo wouldn't have joined it with his spin player double A Benoit Pillman. I thought Pillman and Benoit could have been tag champs very easily from what I'd seen of them as a tag team. And, uh, and then, of course, his run with the Hart Foundation was just stellar when he was there. He was just that shit stir, you know. It uh, wasn't the same guy after he had his uh, car wreck and messed up his ankle, so he wasn't able to fly as much, for lack of a better term. But uh, but still, he had the promos, he had the charisma, and he was always one of my favorites. So now it's cool watching his, his son in uh, AEW doing his thing, uh, Barney Jr. And... Uh, I just I hope that they get him away from that varsity blonde skin soon. I think he can do better. I've seen him do better in MLW. Look at that nice tackle by Pillman. And at this point, you got to remember Luger was almost untouchable. I mean, where was the world champion, and that wasn't going to change until Sting was ready. But the fact that they kept, I think they had 
this was in the middle of like a 500 some day reign as uh, US champion, I think, which is just unheard of for that title in, in that period. Because this was always the, uh, the one for the, uh, like the contender's title. The number one contender was always the U.S. champion, but it always it it would it would shuffle a bit. It went from Wyndham to Luger to Dusty to uh, Michael Hayes to Hanson. But to keep it on Luger for as long as they did, oh look at that! He was going through that big springboard, and Luger bailed out. But that just goes to show what the what kind of stock the company had in Luger. That he was basically he was. He was, they wanted him to be their Hogan. He didn't quite get there, but uh, I was always, I was like Luger when I was a kid. He was like, he was like a superhero to me. I'm going to say he was a little stiff, but uh, that's, that's not a big deal. He uh, trained by, jumped by a hero Matsuda. So they don't, uh, they don't pull punches here, but uh, well, they kind of do. Let's, uh, let's see what JR's got to say here. Look at Tillman running around. Oh, well, JR's call on that. Just calls it calls it like a sport, which is it's it's great. And you listen to guys like like McMahon in the eighties, and he would call it like it was a. The best way I can put it is Vince ran the WWF like a circus. He was the ringmaster, and he was he was inviting all of us into the spectacle. And it was like it was like the carnival barker, and uh, Jim Ross was the legitimate sports announcer on WCW, and also in mid south before that so it's a it's kind of a uh, it's a it's a great contrast you know wwf was always very much about the show but the nwa was always very much about the wrestling which is i think why i always loved it when i was a kid wcw kind of kind of towed the line a little bit more between the two is a little bit of both but uh Credit to Luger, too. He's making Tillman look like a million bucks in this match. He's getting his shots in, but Tillman, he's, he's making Tillman look good here. Look at that. They called Tillman Fire Bryant for a reason because he was so athletic. But it was always cool for me to watch him when he got to actually like do the ground and pound, do the do the mat based style too, and show that he could. And uh, this was not long before he started teaming up with Thomas Zink, who we saw in the first match uh, beat uh, the Thunder. And that was kind of like I think it was like their answer to the Rock and Roll Express. They couldn't get like the Fantastics or the Rock and Roll or anything. So they put these two very uh, popular baby faces, especially with the girls, as a tag team. They had a run as U.S. tag champions. 
before Pillman gets the right heavyweight title and then kind of went his own way. But uh, but this was kind of like Pillman's intro to the U.S. Because all he even started in Stampede in, in Canada and didn't really do much in the U.S. So. Yeah, it's like running into a brick shit house in the Uber. He's, I think they said, like 4% body fat in his peak, like in his prime. Two, probably 270, just solid muscle. And look at that, taking, he's taking Pilgrim's offense like a champ. I'm sorry, Bob Cottle again, my mistake. Luger kind of sells like a Frankenstein sometimes. Very stiff looking in the ring. And I think Luger was never the loosest guy in the ring. He was uh, I'm surprised he didn't nod up his back taking bumps so often with all as thick as he was. I wonder if Tommy's trying to tell Pillman. <laughs> He's not cheating. Yeah, Luger, Luger, legit 6'4", maybe 6'5", Pillman's 5'11", 6'5", I think. So there's a big size advantage, but like I said, Pillman, he's got that football background too, so he was able to kind of hang with Luger in the uh, physicality department there. Did you get a power slam? Oh, nice leapfrog by Pillman. Just hilarious. Oh, nice. If you guys get a chance, go on YouTube and uh, look up Bad Company in the Stampede Wrestling. There was a uh, tag team with Graham Pillman and Bruce Hart, best brother. And they were a really entertaining tag team. It was, uh, I think they did a lot of business with, uh, I don't think they ever wrestled Diamond and Tanaka, but there were several teams in, uh, in Stampede that were really cool, but not a lot of them really were that next level talent like Pillman. Like when he moved down to Georgia, that kind of left Bruce in the in a bind. He was kind of just I think he was running the company. I don't think Stu was involved anymore. But yeah, they were kind of like the uh they were the, the hot act in the stampede was that company. And then uh when I first heard somebody in the interview this is a long time ago saying bad company, the team of Pillman and Hart, I Got excited. I thought it was Pillman and Owen, which would have been such a fun tag team back then. Nope, got Pillman going to the top. Go for a splash, and he's going to miss. What a surprise. Right on the little bread basket. And the Philadelphia crowd goes mild. Actually, that's not fair. I'm sure it's more exciting 
but I've got no volume on here. Mm, not bad. All right, let's get with this power slam. Oh, no. Oh, just dead lift into the air and just dropped him. That's, that's not cool. <laughs> Hot shot there by Luger. Yeah. Luger wasn't the most polished wrestler in the ring, which is kind of an understatement, but he knew all the tricks. He, he could make it look good. He, he was stuck making L's with his fingers during his promos. Anybody who's watched the promos and uh, can tell what I'm talking about. Yeah, I think like, I just love his hilarious. He goes through a hell of a clothesline. Because Luger had that short burst that a lot, there's a lot of guys that don't have that quickness at, at a short distance like he does. Brock Lesnar always had that. Uh, Bobby Lashley had that. And Luger, I think it was his football thing as, a, as an offensive lineman. He had that burst when he needed to really get maximum impact. And we got Ooh, one of the back of the head. <laughs> I think I might get frowned upon these days in the uh, era of concussions. Man, I just putting the boots to him. Oh, <laughs> just choking out his. Really getting maximum punishment on the on Tillman there. He ain't listening to Tommy, and Tommy's trying to scold him. Vertical suplex. Hopefully those tights don't give way. There we go. There we go. Look, you don't go for a torture rack here. Oh, it's going for a cover. Okay. I'm sorry, the human torture rat back in the 80s before they truncated it to torture rat. Let's see what JR saying. It's like we was going full Seamus, pull around in the chest across the ropes. Them do multiple, obviously. Look at that, just getting his shots in and just soaking up the hate. Oh, sunset put by Pillman. <laughs> there goes Luger over the top. Uh, didn't get thrown over, so no DQ there. But I love the story they're telling here where Pillman 
this frustrating Luger with, with the quickness. Luger's just wearing him out, but every now and then Pillman gets that flash pin or just ducks out of the way. <laughs> Luger almost lost him on that on the drop. What are we doing here? Oop, going up to the top. Looks like we got ourselves a superplex. saw this show I was about 10. It was it wasn't like the year that it came out. It was about a year later. And uh my brother found it at the Oakwood video. It used to be uh I think it might have even been in the laundromat in Oakwood, Illinois, where they had mostly old WWF pay-per-views. Uh, ooh, nice great more clothes on that building. But there's mostly like WrestleMania's or SummerSlam Survivor Series, you know. But every now and then they would have old Starcades or in this case Halloween Havoc. And I forget where I was, but I came home and my brother and his friend had found this and they were watching it. And for some reason, for years, my memory tried to tell me that the Road Warriors wrestled the powers of pain on this show. Uh, well, I, I'm going to assume Luger moved out of the way there. Because he clearly didn't take a, get drop kicked. He just fell down. I'm just like I'm just going to go out of the way, and uh, but yeah, so that's when I saw I saw the Thunderdome, the Road Warriors. I didn't realize they were wrestling the skyscrapers. Oh, nice hot shot there! That could be a finish. Two, three, way up there we go. Let's go to Gary. He's holding the belt upside down. Okay, JR confirmed it was a miss. All right, thank you, JR. But the, back to what I was saying, it's uh, the details didn't really stick with me back then. It wasn't until much later on when I saw the show again when I was in my 20s that it really stood out to me. But back then, the only thing I really remembered was the main event. But going back and watching this stuff now, it makes me realize how much I really enjoyed WCW. I think we got another promo here. Oh, the Road Warriors. There it is. <laughs> I 
that's just good stuff. I, I love a good reporter's promo. Now here we go. We got the skyscrapers coming out, and this was a fun team to watch. I mean, when Sid could stay healthy, Teddy Long with his giant key. I guess he got the key to the city for somebody. And then Dangerous Dan Spivey and Sid Vicious. This is uh, Dan Spivey before Wayne of Mercy in WWF, uh, after the Golden Boy in the WWF. But uh, really fun, uh, just two huge guys that can just throw you around. It was good stuff. But it was such a fun matchup for the Road Warriors. That it, was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was almost like war back when I was a kid. I hear stories about these guys. After I had seen like Sid Justice and then the stuff Sid was doing in uh, WCW, but then going back and watching how these guys start is always a lot of fun to me. Like watching the skyscrapers, watching Doom, uh, the the beginning of the Steiner Brothers run. It's just it's just good stuff to me. And uh, now they got the Road Warriors. Are they doing motorcycles on this entrance? They've done that sometimes. But they might just be walking out to kick some ass. We'll have to see. Well, it's kind of a knockoff of Fire Man, but you get the idea. Precious Paul Ellering, Hawking Animal. This is so, so cool. These guys were just larger than life to me back then. And everybody. It's major new fans. They love the red shoulder pads. I always preferred the black ones. I thought they looked way cooler this way. And uh, yeah, they seemed kind of cartoonish when they went to the red and black shoulder pads in WWF. But uh, I can jump over the couple wearing those heavy old shoulder pads. It's, it's pretty impressive, really. Just awesome back when I'm, I'm eight years old when this match happens. And yeah, these guys just seem like superheroes. It's, just, it's crazy. And the skyscrapers have the sense to wait until they get their spikes off to attack them. Not everybody does. And this is a couple months before Paul Ellery shaved Teddy Long's head after a, after a match. I think this was the last like significant skyscrapers match with Spidey and, uh, and Sid because before too long Sid would get hurt and then they'd bring in uh, Mark Callis, you know, Mark Calloway, Undertaker, to take his spot. And then their last run, the last match I think was at, I forget what show it was, it was early 90s and there wasn't even Spidey, it was me, Mark, and a guy in a mask. And I cannot for the life of me tell you who was under the mask. But that was like the, the uh, blow off of the, the Road Warriors feud. And then the roadies went on to, I think that was right before they went to WWF. Ooh, Spike and Wayne, man, man. You know, for, for Animal to clothesline a guy and he doesn't go down, that says a lot about the guy he's in the ring with. Oh, Bob Cottle again. (laughs) 
This is nuts. Look at that. Yeah, if you look at the look at the road warriors. The fact that one of them is considered the big one, which usually was an animal, he was about 290. But Hawk was an easy 280, maybe 285. And I would say while animal was the thicker of the two of them, Hawk was more definitely more jacked. I would say probably well, probably about stronger. But uh, that's kind of like one and one A as far as the strength department goes. What the hell was that, Sid? Sid? Oh, Sid doesn't whip that bad when he plays softball. That was such an imposing looking team, especially when you're a kid watching this. Lock up. Sid is in there. Look at that. Ooh. You know, Sid doesn't get enough due for just how athletic he was back then. He could he could move around pretty well for a guy his size. Until I think injuries kind of caught up with him. But look at that guy. And the thing, Vince wanted to make him the next big baby face in the early nineties when Hogan was going to be taking time away. But Sid said no, he wants to be wanted to be a heel. He preferred it, but man, he could have he would have been their their big money baby face in ninety one, ninety two. But then you never know, you know. We might not have gotten Bret Hart as a world champion. Maybe not gotten some Michael as a world champion. At least not when they did. Maybe later on. But look at that. Oh, Sid. Sid. Sid's a bit of a hothead. I love that flying shoulder that Adam used to do. Pretty <laughs> up on the floor. All right, what's Jr. saying? Greco Roman Knuckle Rock. This is the go to for any match in the 80s where there was two really big, powerful guys. He either do the Greco Roman Knuckle Rock. And it's always going to be just never going to be one sided. It's always going to go back and forth. And this is no different. Man, Hawk is ripped. Look at that. They're so sick, those little soldiers. Kind of looks like a jacked up Joey Sweeten. But there comes Hawk. Look at that. Sid taking a monkey flip. You don't see that very often. Not a lot of flash with the road warriors. Come in, beat the hell out of your opponent. 
Awesome. Add a little bit. This is going towards the paycheck. Between Ruger, Spire Brothers, and World Brothers, there's some pretty heavy clothesline going on in the NWA back then. Hawk. There's Rick Flair's called Road Warrior Big Bird Hawk. I think I would have to put this as my favorite feud that the Road Warriors ever had. I mean, the stuff we did with Tony Arm was, was awesome, but they didn't have a whole lot of, well, I don't even know how shows they did, but like, as far as TV goes, they didn't have a whole lot of matches with each other. And you would have thought they would have uh, traded the World Tag Titles. Oh my, that's Whirly Bird there by the end. Like I said, I think he still did that in the Sid Justice days. But, uh, but this was such an, it was a very even match. The Road Warriors looked like, and they, they said in their promo, they said they were kind of like the underdogs, as hard as that is to believe. Because, I mean, Sid's 6'9", Spidey's, I don't know, 6'8", six, 6'7". Six, so they got the height on the Road Warriors, and they're both about 200 pounds. I mean, Sid was a little more than that. Nice lariat by Hawk there. Nothing, uh, <laughs> Spidey not doing such a good job of selling it. Oh, basement dropkick by Spidey. That's, that's something you don't see every day. Now let's see it up to you. Oh, drop him across the rail. Teddy Long is dressed kind of ridiculously here. I mean, the hat's okay. The hat's okay. The leather, the leather hat. The suit is a little bit uh, ridiculous. Now let's spike one suplex. Move the way. Very nice. Good. Not a lot of guys throw the Road Warriors around. Exaggerated with the, with the big wind up. But I mean, if you got punched in the gut by Sid, it probably hurt a little bit in, in a real fight. But you never know. Unsettling <laughs> chokehold there. Uh oh. Spidey's got the boot up. Hopefully, this doesn't backfire. Oh, it didn't. What do you know? It actually worked. Boot? No. Well, technically. Ooh. And Spidey, he doesn't sell much in, uh, in these matches. He takes, he's taking some pretty heavy shots from uh, from Hawk, but he's just shaking them all off and, and getting his own stuff in. I don't know how uh, 
I'll scope it up back in the back. Just be curious. Oh, smart, nice tag, and then uh, cutting off off. Very nice. Order of Sid had to have Spidey Show had to do a pump face lock in the locker room before this match. There's the man affectionately called Peanut Head by uh, JBL on SmackDown, Teddy Arlong. Apparently, uh, <laughs> he must have gotten hacked on Twitter about a week ago. Locked a lot of people. But uh, I think it wound up being a, uh, being a hoax. Hard to say. What do we get? Referees with off again? Yeah, this is a damn good tag team match with these guys. Yeah, not the most technically sound, any of the four of them, but uh, man, it's fun. Like I said, man, hoss fights. This is the epitome of a hoss fight. So the skyscrapers were supposed to be in that Iron Team tournament on Starcade after this, but uh, I think I think Sid was hurt, so they had to pull out of it, and uh, the Samoans took their spot. Considering that the skyscrapers to this point haven't been pinned or submitted yet, you would have thought that they would have had a pretty good uh, good run in that tournament. Oh, looks like we got a free for all kind of breaking down here. Spidey's got Hawk, Sid's got Animal. Ooh, oh, Love Animal's Power Slam. Teddy's in there with the, oh, he just nailed Ellering with that big D. Then he gave it to Spidey, and that's going to give you the DQ. That's, uh, ooh, dang, Hawker. Nope. Let's see what the JL's got to say about this. He's probably losing his mind. So the skyscrapers get the heat on uh, the road warriors with the big metal key that Teddy Long was carrying around, but then, of course, the road warriors, they get their shine back. Big clothesline up the top by Hawk. Then he takes that big key and starts whooping on everybody. <laughs> Since the book is slow. Look at that. Bam. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Alright, who we got doing a promo here? Let's see. Oh, there we go. 
It is main event time here. Now we got the Thunderdome. There's Bruno in all of his glory there. So you got like a living legend. And I mean, I get you want to have a special referee for this match, but in this environment, Bruno seemed like an odd choice to me. If it was me in the, uh, and if he wasn't in the WWF, I would have had Dusty do it, which would have been really interesting because with the history that Dusty has with Oli, who is going to be in Flair and Sting's form? That would have been an interesting dynamic. But here we go. Now we got the Muda coming out. Uh, he is the world television champion at this point with Gary Hart, one of my all-time favorite managers. Uh, you heard him on the promo earlier. He's, uh, he's just a shyster for Chicago. <laughs> and uh, a little bit heading. Gary Hart presents Great Muda. That's this old, old school crooked promoter 101. Uh, about Gary, not the actual promoters. And then you got the Dragon Master, who's like the bodyguard, uh, keeping an eye on it, watching his back. And then let's see, what is Bunk's music? Oh, this still moved his music. time favorites. Here comes the Funker. Great music too. Look at that. Talk about a guy with an aura. You look at Funker. I mean, I think as much as I love Funk in ECW, this is my favorite period for Terry Funk. That late 80s Funker, you know. I know there's people that say they prefer when he was a world champion in the 70s. Called people that uh, say they prefer when he was with uh, Jimmy Hart in 86. This this is it for me. Can with Gary Hart, the uh Around the time they did the Eichler match with Flair. Oh, he's got the crowd riled up. He's just a, he's a pro, man. He's so good. But speaking of so good, then now you got these guys with uh, Sting. Probably one of his first big main event uh, pay per view matches. Because he didn't, because remember, the classic champion was a pay per view, that was a TV. But then he was always on the undercard of uh, Flair and Steamboat, Flair and Funk. And uh, he's ready to go, man. He's got the, uh, the flat top. And as much as people love Crow Sting, I make 97 Sting, my favorite Sting is like the 90s Sting. Like right after this period, it's the, uh, the blonde flat top and the neon colors. And he's flying around as much as he is. Uh, 
doing press stands on flares at, at this point. But uh, he was the kind of guy, if, I mean, if you had to have a choice between having Sting or the Ultimate Warrior, how do you not take Sting over Warrior at this, at this point in their careers? Because a Sting had Warrior had in much, much more. Like Warrior was very one-dimensional. Sting was he had he had layers at this point. And you got the man. There comes the man. So you heard it from Bob Cottle there. The only way to win this match is for the other team second to throw the towel in, which is uh, it's a it's a cool cool wrinkle to, to this match. And you now we should be getting the cage coming down here pretty soon here. But the Dragon Master is going to take his lead there. Always <laughs> talking shit. It's usually nonsense. Now, you can see the lights going up there, and then you got the cage coming down. And when you're nine years old, like I was when I saw this match for the first time, this is an awesome looking cage. I've never seen a cage with a roof on it before. But I, had, but I hadn't seen any of the War Games matches yet by this point. Uh, we didn't get the pay-per-views. We didn't have uh, cable, so we didn't do that. We just we had to get what we could out of the video stores back then, and they didn't have the uh, Great American Bashes at the uh, open video. Oh, there's Muda. Really young he is compared to how he is now. Well, what's cool is I'm hearing Sting and Muda are actually going to be uh, in the same match on Muda's retirement show, which is uh, it's a cool uh, cool move. I like it. I was wishing that they would be going one on one, but I think they're going to be on the same team. Now here comes the cage. What can I do? I do myself on this cage. Great 
I gotta wonder if these guys got to have a walkthrough in this cage before the show. JR, as usual, is a master at setting the stage for this stuff. It's, uh, and he's calling a match that nobody's done before. So, yeah, there's, uh, it's a cool, uh, cool situation to be in. I think you're going to see here there's a, uh, a bit of a uh, snafu in the cage. What does Funk doing? Funk is a madman. Middle Eastern crazy is not doing justice. Oh, there it is. Look at that. The pyro caught the set on fire. The ring crew started to put the fire out there. Having no luck. But somebody has a solution. Fear not. But yeah, what, what do you expect them to put dry shrubberies on top of the cage near Pyro? Look at that. Here comes Muda. Look at that. He uses the mist to put the fire out. That's fantastic. Muda's so cool. Great balance. Do stand on the ring post like that? Ah, start with Bunker and Flare, as it should be. Why are they? I'm a little confused why they're why it's not just. Texas Tornado, it's, they're actually doing it like a regular tight team match. You'd think it would just be all four guys in the ring at once. Oh, Flair Light and Funk up with those chops. <laughs> Over this game. Big chop. Ooh. <laughs> and another, another standoff. Kind of gives us the running scheme. <laughs> Bruno does not want to be touched by anyone, especially Muda. This the tagline for the show is seven in the score. The score is mainly between Funk and Flair. Sting and Muda had their beef too, but these guys probably the best. I mean, the best working feud of the year was Flair and Sting, though, hands down. But as far as like grudge feud, the best one was Flair and Funker, easy. And uh, oh man, there's Teddy Chops back there. See, this is how I choose to remember Ric Flair. I mean, yeah, I watched his last match in Nashville, and it was you know, I can't all the respect world for Flair, he shouldn't have done it. And now I'm here to talk, he's saying that he might not be done. If he's not done, he's gonna die in the ring, and I'm that terrifies me to my core. And uh, it wouldn't be the first one, but. I think he needs to just ride off into the sunset and bask in, in the glory of his amazing 50-year career, you know. But this is what Flair was at his best, I think, in the late 80s. 
right before he turned 40, when he was in his late 30s, peak physical condition, or what post-plane crash physical condition. Mega Funk and, and Sting. It's kind of a dream match. You know, you never, I don't think you get Funk and Sting one on one a whole lot. <laughs> Wedging his head in the, in, the, in the cage. Oh, Sting, why the back leg? You're not a deal. Oh, Funk are going after Ole. <laughs> That's the match we've seen before. See, out of these four guys, Sting is like the quintessential sports entertainment guy. Funker is the, the roughneck brawler. Flair's the classic pro wrestler technician. Buddha's the uh, martial arts high-flying Japanese style. You know, it's a great clash of styles in this match. <laughs> Funk just timber in the middle of the ring. Now we can get the knee drop from Flair. And slap Bermuda again. Oh, man. That's awesome. Oh, Bermuda's pissed. <laughs> He's like, I've had enough of you slapping me. Oh, now we got the double team. I always wondered why Claire grabs the guy's hair before he throws a chop. It must be like when basketball players shoot free throws and they've got like their their routine, like they dribble three times, breathe, bend your knees, then shoot. It must be like his technique for throwing shots. You see that with other guys doing things, like Drake Younger, when he used to throw forearms, he would like throw his arm up like in the air and then come back down with a forearm. But he was the only one that did it. And uh, and that always kind of struck me as, as, as funny. But uh, here Drake is going back into the ring. I guess he's taking a break from the politics and the uh, the crazy Christian rhetoric that he's been throwing around in Florida, and he's getting back in the ring a little bit. And uh, you know what? Politics aside, and you know, I'm apolitical. Drake was one of the nicest guys I've met, and one of my favorite wrestlers I've seen work in, in person. So here we go, Sting and Muda. This is such a this is a great rivalry here. Nope, uh oh. Ooh, Funk's lucky he didn't tear up his knee there with Muda falling on him like that. Uh, three of these guys, uh, Funk wasn't, Funk was actually on commentary, were in the Iron Man tournament in Starcade. And Sting and Muda had a really cool match. Uh, so what sticks out to me was Muda actually did uh, Cattle Mutilation, which is Brian Danielson's old submission, the double chicken wing with the bridge that he still does every now and then. But I didn't know anybody else had done that. But that, was, that was Muda. He, he, he admitted it, I guess. Chopping contest with Muda. A little knee drop, perhaps? Thing and Flair were actually working like a pretty polished tank team at this point. But we, we know it, it couldn't last. Because as good as they were as a team, they were even better as, as opponents. Now, what the, the rules with the cages, it's electrified. But I think it's like you have to go up a certain a certain height on the cage to get to the electric part. Like here, 
there's no electricity there. If it's as you get further up the cage, certainly fire. No, I don't think so. See, now we got a free flow. Fire Walker fighting on the floor, Luda staying in the ring. And Bruno's just letting him go. This is chopped with a shoulder. My punk. A bastard. Well, watching this stuff, you know, with his brother in all Japan, but I think it was with Brody and Hanson, or with Gordy and, uh, I think Gordy and Brody even teamed up together. Nice late drop by Muda. Everything Muda does is so crisp back then. Back up to the floor. <laughs> Gone play with him. Now Punker's gonna. Look at that. Play with him. Ah, perfect. Can Flair just make anything seem like he got shot in the face with a shotgun? Punker using the cage. Let's see what our commentators think about this match. The echo on those chops and it goes out to the floor there. And this is what it's all about funk and flare. Yeah, now it's kind of breaking down. They're not so much worried about making tags. It's just more Texas tornado style. Ooh, good kick miss. Ooh, we got a face plant. Fitting Sting to borrow from Michael Cole. Then uh, Bruno, he's was Bruno on a break or something. He's not really doing much. He's just standing, he's just standing there taking a space. I mean, technically, you don't really need a referee in there. I mean, just have him on the outside, and whenever somebody throws in a towel, then, you know, it's the end of the match. Yeah, I really wish that Sting and Riddle would have had a, a longer run than they actually had. They only had about five or six months. But they could have had a, a good feud that lasted a year. And you could spread it out. They just would never Muda would come back to Japan. But it was Sting here and there. When Muda was the NWA champion, have him take on Sting. Oh, Sting's open Scorpion Deathlock here. Oh, and there's Bunker. <laughs> Not today, he says. This looks like a drunk guy in the bar that just wants to fight. And sometimes that's all you need to do. 
Like I said, man, he's a rough neck. <laughs> Start your shit with Bruno. I don't know, my money's all fucker in a fight with Bruno. Trying to get their shots in with Bruno's standing there with a tree trunk. Yeah, this is just a good old fashioned. If, if by some circumstance Triple H would bring back the Thunderdome for one night, I would get a kick out of it. I don't know who they put in it, but it'd be a nice little bit of nostalgia. I know Triple H, he's, he's big on the nostalgia. I'm sure he's watched this match a hundred times. Being just the player fan that he was growing up, or maybe still is. Now you got Stinger playing the, uh, the peril baby face here. Ooh, more shots. What the? <laughs> now they Okay, now they're starting to climb up, so they're getting close to the uh, electricity. Flair gets bad. Look at that. Oh, that little Funker's caught. Is it on cue? Hello, Noodles. My cat has decided to make an appearance. She's not on camera, I don't think. But, uh, and I don't know if she's picking up on the uh, on the microphone here, but sometimes she just wants some attention. Ow, oh, Buddha just got shocked. Look at that. This is awesome. Yeah, Stinger's getting a little too high up on that cage. He's getting close to the, uh, the shock room. Fucker <laughs> trying, trying to escape. Luda maybe could, could pull off an escape. I don't know about Funk. All right, let's see what the boys are saying here. Oh, we're getting really high up now. Ah. Not the best camera angle there. Oh. <laughs> They're using the rope. Like he's friggin' Tarzan or something. Look at that handful of balls. This stinger. Oh, military press for those that aren't watching. All right. All right. The cat is the stage left. Now, what's stinger thinking here? He's kind of got mood at his mercy right now. Oh, that's gross. Fucker got a little boogie going on in the old mouse bowl. Is he tied up or is he just hungry? 
pointless things in terms of average age. Where's Rudigo? Do we live under the rings or something? He is sneaky. Using the ropes. Gall bang, you don't hear that on wrestling very often. Those of you that are concerned, fear not, we got about 13 minutes left on this show here. It's a, this might be our longest episode ever, but that's, you know, assume what we're doing, it makes sense. Stinger still has the rope, I don't know what he's, what he's going to do, the Tarzan thing, like where? Where, there you go, yeah, where should he go for the figure four? Look at that, and uh, if Blair's got it in, is Gary Hart going to throw in the towel? What's Stinger going to do? Oh, <laughs> just kick him right in the belly. Bumper's taking a, taking a beating in this match. Probably wouldn't have it any other way, to be honest with you. It looks like Coach Karai right now. Move it to the floor. We're going for the oh, nice kick to the head. Oh, where's selling it to you? I'm telling you, where can you sell anything and make it sound like you got? Hit with an axe or something. The puncher's hog time sting to the cage. Muda don't believe, well, the Muda lock, that uh, the death lock. Well, not yet, he's just working on the legs, but eventually he's going to bridge back into that face lock. And Muda's so good. There it is. There's the mood lock there. I don't know why Bruno's asking Flair. He's gonna, he should be asking Oli. Because I mean, Oli's got to throw the towel in. That's such a cool move. And I can't imagine the balance it takes to do that. Next thing is tied to the cage. He'll be good up in time. Let's see what JR's saying here. It should be good. I guess I don't go to many rodeos. I never heard of a half hitch in a hooey. Yeah, Flair's head was a little too low on that pile driver. I'll be honest, I was surprised Rick Seymour wasn't on this show. But uh, I forget what uh, his angle was. I think he was done with Luger. Or he might have taken time away again. 
His kids are getting free. Oh, he must not have been a Boy Scout because he's not doing so good with that knot. There we go. Now Skinner's out. Now he's going up to the he's going up to the top floor on that case. Hopefully he doesn't get shot. Whee! With the big clothesline on Funk. Oh, there you go. Now he's he's standing up the bar from both of them. Now he's looking like Steve Timmons. For anybody that remembers the U.S. volleyball team from 1988 in uh, Korea at the Olympics. <laughs> Man, Funk, Funk is just a master at everything. He can sell, he can, he can register, he can take it, he can get it. Big shop. Working on that kind of Charlie horse Bunker's leg. Oh, big chop. Oh, man. Everything they do looks so so legit when they're like when you look at the real masters out there, like, like a flare, like a bump, like a triple H in his prime. Then you take like your guys like Brody Hansen and Abdullah who just can just beat the piss out of each other anyway, not worried so much about it. Skinner and Muda are up there. Oh, oh, Muda just crossed himself on the bars of the cage. That looks painful. Oh. oh now Flair, I believe, is going to go for that figure four. Oh, he's going to soften him up first, going on over the ropes. First, he's going to get a little side on Muda. This is a cool sequence that I remember from back in the day when I watched this. Flair's got the figure four on. Watch how he lifts up that leg, taking the pressure off just for a second. The spin gets that big splash. Okay, he didn't do it the first time, but eventually he, he would. The fans are going nuts. His figure's going back up. Bruno, get the hell out of the way. He's trying to cajole Buddha to get back in the ring. There he goes. There you see the leg. Taking the pressure off that ankle. Buddha went after Bruno. Bruno knocked him on his ass. He knew that was coming. Now Gary's getting in the ring. I'm guessing he's going to... Look at Gary. He's getting pummeled by... Oh, look at that. The towel is on Bruno's shoulder. Gary might not have wanted to throw the towel in, but by golly, he did. So... Sting and Flair have won your main event in the Thunderdome. Uh, one of my favorite WCW matches from back in the day. It was so much fun. This this whole show was awesome. Uh, 
And this goes, like I said, leads into Starcade and the inevitable split up where Flair and Sting were supposed to go for the world title before Sting got hurt. And then yeah, they had to wait until uh, the Great American Bash. But uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's this show. I mean, it was, it comes to mind. This is about five minutes left. Let's see what they got to say here. Are they playing War Pigs in the background? What's going to happen? It's going to be the, uh, the I Quit match with the New York Knockout and Clash of Champions. And as Bob Cottle and Jim Ross are wrapping things up, they got about three minutes or so left of the of airtime on this show. So while they're wrapping up, I'm going to I'm going to wrap up myself. I'm going to say uh, to everybody that listened to this, uh, this is my first go watch along for uh, for jumping the rail here and. I appreciate you listening. If you stuck with me through the entire two, three hours, I salute you all. Uh, like I said, eventually it's going to get to, uh, we're going to work on getting the, the podcast back up to its normal uh, setup. We're going to have, uh, I got some uh, people interested in getting involved. Uh, but for now, I'm just trying to, while I can, I'm going to do things out of, out of the apartment here. Probably do more watch-alongs. If I can, maybe I'll try and get Zoom set up, maybe set up an interview or two. Uh, so I'm going to drop this hopefully tomorrow. Uh, if you're listening, drop it on Friday. If you don't need to know when it's dropping, you'll still hear it. Uh, last minute plugs. Uh, tomorrow, uh, keep an eye out for the 1130 podcast. I had the privilege of chatting with DeAndre Terry about wrestling today. And uh, it was a lot of fun. He's a cool guy. Hopefully, I'll have him on this show coming up sometime. Uh, ProWrestlingTees.com, as usual, get our, uh, our Jumping the Rail merchandise. Uh, new t shirts out there. Uh, if you can make it to Neptune on Saturday, do it, man. Uh, Zero One USA 16th anniversary show at the Burgess Auditorium. And uh, it's always a lot of fun. We'll get some fun matches. Uh, we'll see some interesting people there in, in, in the, the fans. So I definitely suggest you do that. Uh, 
something else that came came across. Uh, Marco kind of alluded to it a few weeks ago. The uh, dark horror and uh, history kind of think is what it's called. It's going to be running in Savoy in December. Zero One is running a wrestling show on that uh, on that show. So if you do horror movies and pro wrestling, MMA things like that, uh, go check it out. It'll be fun. I'm really plan on being there with the show. Uh, maybe we can get a chance to do something for the show there. I don't know. We'll try to figure that out. Uh, if you get, uh, if you want to get tickets to Squirt Circle Expo in Indianapolis in April, tickets are available now. Uh, the two names they've announced so far are Kurt Angle and MJF. They'll have a ton more people before April comes around. So if you, if it's a lot of fun, I can't suggest it enough. And uh, I think that's about it until the next one. Uh, if you have any suggestions for uh, for something you want to have another watch on for or anything like that, uh, put it on our, our Twitter at JTR Pod on our Facebook page. Shoot, just send us an email, just the real at gmail.com. And uh, who knows, maybe we'll, we'll make it happen. But I'm going to take this opportunity to say goodbye. Thanks a lot, you guys, for uh, for hanging out with me tonight. I know it's a little later than usual, both in week and in time of day. But uh, until next time, as I look for my mouse, here we go. And this, I'm not going to have any outro music on this. I'm just going to, I'm just going to end the screen here. But uh, until next time, this is Reb, and uh, thanks a lot for hanging out with me tonight. And uh, have a good one. See you later.